The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. COVID 19 pandemic continuing coverage on 630 Chad. Time to head to the legislature for an update on the COVID 19 pandemic situation in the province of Alberta. Here is Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Thank you, Tom, and good afternoon. Thank you all for coming. Before I provide an update on today's cases, I would like to begin by clarifying some of the updates I shared yesterday. I indicated an individual had died at Edmonton's Rosedale facility. This man, who was in his 80s, passed away in the hospital. Rosedale is an independent seniors facility supported by home care. The resident who passed away was independent and did not receive care. He had not been at Rosedale since March 17th, and at this time, no other resident or Rosedale staff member have been identified as having COVID-19. I had also indicated that Edmonton Shepherds Care Kensington had six active COVID-19 cases. This information was inaccurate and was clarified for public health officials shortly after my availability. Their number remains at four, as had previously been reported. We took immediate steps to correct these inaccuracies in published information to ensure Albertans continue to have the most accurate information possible. I have also been in contact with Rosedale and apologized for this error and any concern this may have caused for residents, families or staff. Throughout the pandemic response, public health officials and ministry staff have worked to provide the most accurate and timely information we have available. Sometimes we may clarify previous statements or update Albertans when new information becomes known. We will continue to refine reporting to ensure information is accurate in my daily updates. I welcome the ongoing opportunity to provide new information to Albertans to help them understand the impact of our collective pandemic response. I would now like to provide an update on cases in Alberta. In the last 24 hours, we have confirmed 64 new cases of COVID-19, bringing the total number of cases in Alberta to 754. This number of 754 includes 77 cases involving healthcare workers, including staff and continuing care facilities. The vast majority of these cases were returning travelers or participants at the bond spiel that I have previously talked about, not cases that were acquired while they were providing care. We continue to refine reporting for healthcare workers and we will report new information as it becomes available. Sadly, I was just informed of an additional death reported in Calgary Zone at McKenzie, long-term, long, McKenzie Town Long-Term Care. On behalf of all Albertans, I convey condolences to this individual's family. This is another tragic case of COVID-19 at its worst. We suspect up to 75% of all of the 754 cases that I talked about are total in Alberta are the result of community transmission. This is concerning. Alberta Health is tracking outbreaks in three facilities at the moment, Mackenzie Town Long-Term Care and Care West Glenmore Park Centre, both in Calgary, and Shepherd's Care Kensington and Edmonton Zone. Updates on confirmed case numbers at these outbreaks will be provided tomorrow to ensure we have the most accurate information available. These outbreaks remain worrisome. We know seniors and those with chronic health conditions are at greatest risk of severe illness related to COVID-19. 
we must all continue to do our part and follow the public health orders that are in place to save lives. Following the public health orders, though, does not mean we can't continue to support each other or to help the most vulnerable. Albertans are known for this generosity. Organizations like Alberta Food Banks and Meals on Wheels still need Albertans' support. I encourage healthy Albertans to give of their time where possible and with proper attention to physical distancing and hygiene requirements. Albertans can also help by donating blood through Canadian Blood Services. I understand that donations have declined and we still need blood to help Albertans who are suffering through other health conditions. Canadian Blood Services has taken safety measures to ensure that their staff and their donors are protected in this time. We are all in this together and now more than ever, kindness matters. In the coming days, we will be putting together some guidance on how community organizations and not-for-profits can continue to work while keeping their staff, volunteers, and communities safe. Even if you are not able to volunteer, there are things you can do to help others get through this. Reach out to friends, family, and neighbors who may be struggling. Even small gestures can go a long way. Last night, I read about someone who was out on their balcony shedding a few tears and a neighbor from another balcony overheard and called out, it's going to be okay, I promise. Or how a Calgary flower shop, despite having to close, donated flowers to help brighten the day for residents and employees of a continuing care facility. Or a wardrobe department of a filming company that was sewing hospital gowns in Calgary. Every day, I am overwhelmed by the compassion and generosity shown by Albertans. These small acts of kindness are making things a little bit brighter during these difficult times. During this time of necessary physical distancing and self-isolation, it is important that we still stay socially connected. Last week, I joined Premier Kenny for a telephone town hall with religious and faith leaders in the province. This provided an opportunity for discussion about the many religious commemorations just around the corner. Several leaders shared their own ideas on innovative ways to deliver services, such as through webcasts, teleconferencing, texting, and social media. All demonstrated an understanding of mass gathering restrictions and a willingness to reach their faith communities to offer ongoing support and fellowship. One central Alberta church has decided to offer Easter services as a drive-in where families can listen to the service from the safety and comfort of their own cars. We must continue to find new ways, innovative ways, to connect with one another while being physically separated. This is true for families and friends who are planning to celebrate upcoming religious holidays such as Easter, Passover, and Ramadan. Albertans should be planning to celebrate virtually, not having large gatherings, and even avoiding smaller gatherings outside of their immediate household. The aggressive public health measures we've put in place are critical to protect the health of Albertans. We are all in this together, and each of us must do everything we can to flatten the curve and keep Albertans healthy. Thank you, and I'll be happy to take questions. Excellent. Just to, before we go to the floor here, just to clarify, 75 cases are suspected of being acquired through community transmission. Uh, 
Dr. Hinshaw, what's the strategy when you get a nasty outbreak like the one we've seen at the McKenzie Continuing Care Centre in Calgary? What's the strategy to stop it and prevent it from getting any worse? So there are guidelines for outbreak control that include uh, ideally um, in any long-term care continuing care setting, uh, if you have any resident or staff member who is showing any symptoms, first of all, the staff member would not be allowed to come to work. There are daily symptom checks that are required for long-term care. If there is a resident who experiences symptoms that are related to COVID-19, which also could be related to other viruses, uh, then they should be immediately isolated in their room. Uh, and there are protocols with respect to testing and making sure that we quickly identify if that is a case of COVID. In the case of Mackenzie Town, unfortunately, uh, that outbreak protocol seems to not have been implemented immediately. So there does seem to have been a significant amount of exposure. And so really the critical piece of response in that particular outbreak is making sure that everything is done to prevent any further exposure. So any residents who are feeling ill are kept in their rooms and make sure that they're not interacting with others. Any staff members who are ill are kept at home. Uh, staff members who were exposed are allowed to work in that facility in order to keep that facility open and running because we know that it's important for residents to have that care, but they must wear masks while providing care and they must not work in any other facility during this time of outbreak at that particular location. And so again, it's really about making sure that residents are separated as much as possible and this is extremely difficult. And we know that the ability to to socialize is an important part of our overall health but for this time period those residents are not allowed to gather in groupings dining halls are being kept uh, separated in terms of the number of people who can even sit together common use items are for example like a salt shaker are not being allowed if multiple people would touch them so there's multiple things that are put in place in these facilities to try to stop any additional spread excellent we'll go to the phone now operator could you patch through the first question Operator, are you there? Excellent. Sorry, I have myself on mute. First question is Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. Yeah, good day, guys. Um, I wanted to ask some more details here on what more guidance you could give to younger folks. Obviously, yesterday we had a fellow in his 30s who passed away. Um, I think you mentioned yesterday he has underlying health conditions, if you could expand on what they were, but also general guidance to younger people who perhaps are thinking that, you know, this stuff can't touch them. Sure. So uh, in terms of protecting patient confidentiality, uh, if a person had a condition that was relatively new or added to our understanding of what risk factors were, we would consider disclosing it. But otherwise, I would just reiterate that any chronic condition uh, puts people at risk. And so that can include things like diabetes. It can include things like um, high blood pressure. It can include uh, breathing difficulties like asthma. And so really anyone who has any one of those chronic conditions would be at higher risk of having a severe outcome. That's not to say that that individual had any or all of those, but again, um, the important thing for people to know is that if they do have a chronic medical condition, they themselves are at higher risk of a severe outcome. But my message for younger people would be that even if you don't have a chronic health condition, you need to make sure that you're protecting yourself against COVID-19, because even if you yourself have a mild illness, you could spread that disease to others and 
continue to be a part of having disease spread in your community could be a link to having other people who get severe illness. So the important thing is to follow the recommendations about social distancing, staying home when sick is critical, even with mild illness, and knowing that it's not just for yourself, but for those around you that you're doing those things. Excellent. We'll go back to the floor. Uh, Jalen? Uh, I'm not sure if this is a question for Dr. Hinshaw or Dr. Jaffe, but um, we've been hearing reports that people with asthma are now having a bit of difficulty getting some drugs or treatment such as inhalers that they normally would. I was wondering if um, the government has, has heard any of these reports and if there has been an actual movement of, of drugs over to people with COVID-19 or into hospitals that would normally be there for, for asthma patients. So I think that might be something we need to look into and get back to you. The only change I'm aware of is that uh, there has been a recommendation that although people can often get, say, a three-month supply of a medication, that that's being shortened to make sure that there are adequate uh, medications in the system. So that's the only change I'm aware of. It wouldn't be specific to asthma patients. That would be in general. But that's something we can take away and get back to you specific to asthma because I'm not aware. and. I don't think Dr. Jaffe is either. Sorry, just quickly, did we get a, a number on recoveries today? Uh, yes, 120 people have recovered, so 26 more than yesterday. Thank you. Yep. Operator, could you patch through the next question? Next question is Blake Law with Global Calgary. Go ahead, Blake. Hi there, I'm just asking a question in regards to the 77 healthcare workers who tested positive. I was wondering if you might be able to specify how many of those cases were uh, contracted from uh, travel and how many were uh, community spread or more specifically uh, transmitted within the workplace. So those breakdowns are the things that we're working on right now. So we were able to pull from our database the number that had a report of being a healthcare worker. Uh, but in order to get the details on each one of those in terms of where they acquired it, it's a fairly manual process right now to go through all of those charts. So that's what we're in the process of doing right now. And I, we expect to have a breakdown uh, later on this week. I will flag that, that it can be challenging. We, will, we do have a, a number that we know we're acquiring through travel and a number that we know required through close contact um, in a social setting and so those numbers will be easy to provide but some of the others it may be a little more challenging to determine specifically where they acquired it but again I expect that later this week we will have that breakdown. Excellent. Operator could you patch to the next question please? Next question is James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead James. <laughs> I'm looking at the uh, the data on the Alberta government website that breaks down ages of cases. Do you have similar data for um, hospitalizations? And in particular, are you able to say kind of proportionally when we're talking about people below 40 or below 35, um, what do they make up in terms of hospitalizations or ICU cases? So we do have that data. I don't have it at my fingertips. What we are doing is we're working on shifting our reporting uh, this week. By the end of this week, we should have a more automated process. So a lot of our reporting processes to date have been manual, which can mean that it's a bit slower. And it also uh, means that sometimes there's discrepancies we need to go back and fix. Uh, so but the number, the age ranges of ICU admissions and hospitalized cases is something that uh, we can certainly provide afterwards. We do have that. I just don't have it in front of me here. Excellent. Operator, could you patch through one more question and then we'll come back to the room. Next question is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi there. I have a question for Dr. Joffe. 
Doctor, I'm wondering how much of the province's total uh, hospital capacity is being used right now, and in fact, if AHS is considering uh, using other kinds of buildings like uh, convention centers or hotels to create additional capacity space. So thank you for that question. Let me first also offer on behalf of Alberta Health Services our sympathies to the family of the individual who we just learned about has passed away from COVID-19 in Calgary. So uh, there has been, as I've said several times, uh, an incredible amount of planning ongoing within Alberta Health Services to prepare for what we anticipate to be an increasing number of individuals who will require care, both in the hospital, but potentially in the community as well. We are looking at all potential opportunities uh, I can't give you an exact number as to how many beds are open today, but I can tell you that healthcare workers who have been in the system for many years are telling me that they've never seen as many beds open in our facilities as there are right now. So we are identifying uh, between uh, now and April 15th a total of 2,250 beds that we will have ready for use in the event that we need them. And in fact, we are now going beyond that capacity as well. Uh, we are also looking at other opportunities because uh, there will be a variety of types of care that will be required. Um, as uh, as we've talked about previously, some individuals require an assessment and a, and a nasal swab in order to diagnose COVID-19. Others may require a more substantial health assessment or perhaps if they were diagnosed with COVID-19 two or three or four days ago and have concerns about increasing symptoms, they may require a new health assessment. Uh, in that case, we are setting up what we're calling secondary assessment centers that will be available to uh, examine and assess individuals to see if they're safely managed at home or whether they potentially they might require other levels of care. Uh, there will be uh, facilities to monitor individuals for a number of hours in order to help that make that decision. We'll now turn to the floor, uh, Julia. I'm not sure who this question may be for, so I'll just put it out there. Going back to the 77 healthcare workers who have tested positive, what impact will this have on healthcare delivery? What specialties are we in need of right now in our province? And when will retired doctors and nurses be relicensed and uh, allowed to start work again? I believe that's three questions, but go on, Dr. Jeffy. <laughs> Is she allowed three questions? Thank you. Thanks for those questions. Um, so let me say that uh, hearing that colleagues of mine, people, some of whom I know, others who maybe I haven't met, but they are healthcare workers, have become infected. This is very troublesome. Uh, this is very concerning. I will say that as a healthcare community, we become like a large family. So hearing about this is like hearing that individuals in my own family have become infected, and I wish them well for a, a speedy recovery. I do want to emphasize, as Dr. Hinshaw has said, that from the information that we have, the vast majority uh, for whom we do have information so far have acquired the uh, COVID-19 outside of the hospital setting. So it's not that they've acquired it, wor it at work, they have acquired it through uh, travel or through community gatherings. Um, at this point, uh, we, are, we have significant uh, staff and physician planning underway, contingency planning, 
uh, organizing our systems so that we have uh, extra capacity redundancy so that we can cover for individuals. Uh, if, uh, if an individual is unable to report for work, we need to have arrangements in place, which we are doing. I think uh, with the number of individuals currently ill, uh, it's not, uh, I don't think, an immediate uh, pressing issue. Uh, however, it's something that we are monitoring very closely and, uh, and will continue to do so because we need to be ready to provide care for Albertans when they need care. Uh, overall, I would say that we are a, uh, a resilient workforce. We're flexible. We're used to uh, adapting, and we will continue to do so again in order to provide the care that Albertans need. I do want to emphasize that again, these uh, I'm I'm just distressed to hear the number of healthcare workers who are infected. I wish them well. Uh, we need to look after them because, after all, if we don't look after them and other healthcare workers, they are the ones who are going to be looking after you and looking after me. And we want to ensure that we protect our healthcare workers and that they can come back to work and that, and that we keep those who are at work currently safe and healthy. Excellent. Operator, could you pass through the final couple of questions? Um, first one on the line, please. Next question is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, for Dr. Henshaw. Do you have a little bit more details on the West Glenmore Park in terms of numbers? And then, uh, I guess as a quick follow-up, when you say that the McKenzie Town uh, procedures weren't put in place, are we assured that those procedures have been put in place quick enough at West Glenmore Park? So, uh, the numbers for the outbreaks today were um, adjusting some of the processes. So, we have a process in place where the confirmed cases are those who've had a test and have tested positive, uh, but we are looking at implementing a category of probable cases where they have a close exposure to someone who's a confirmed case and have symptoms that are consistent. And so, we're working through what that looks like in outbreak settings. Uh, because that may help us to manage patients and manage these outbreak settings uh, without needing to test every single person. At the moment, we're doing a lot of testing in these facilities, and that's completely appropriate, uh, but we're working through how we might move to again, that kind of probable and confirmed. And that's why I don't have numbers today, uh, because we're working through, again, that probable and confirmed and, and how we interpret those for these long-term care facilities. What I can tell you is that my colleagues in the zones, the medical officers of health at the local level, are working incredibly hard with these facilities and making sure that they understand exactly what is required in order to prevent further spread. And so at the moment, we have not seen other long-term care facilities that have the high numbers that we've seen at Mackenzie Town and that's something obviously we will continue to monitor closely but again uh, what I think that this has done, and we've been trying over the past weeks to put in additional restrictions. Some of those were recommendations and guidelines. More recently, over the last week, we've actually created legal orders that require changes of practice for these facilities. And I think we're seeing heightened awareness of the importance that these aren't just suggestions, they're actually legal requirements. And so I think we are seeing uh, enhanced 
ability to implement those quickly and again we're monitoring that very closely uh, and so tomorrow I do anticipate I will have numbers for the other outbreaks and in terms of the knowledge of whether or not restrictions have been put in place more quickly at the other sites again I believe that if the information I have that is that's the case but we will continue to monitor all of those outbreaks very closely. You've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw give her daily update on COVID-19 in the province of Alberta. 64 new cases today, bringing our total to 754. One new death being reported as well, bringing our death toll from COVID-19 in Alberta to nine.